Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium. Are your jeans obscene? Do you look whack in your slacks? Come on down to Bridges and Hose and choose from a wide variety of legwear. We also offer on-site embroidery in case you want to look especially ridiculous. And if you've got a rip in your drawers, Bridges and Hose can be stitching your clothes. We'll put new stitches in your britches. Located downtown, we're right next to the Pitches and Throws batting cage. Remember, britches ain't shit, but lederhosen and tricks. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Swung. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome to the Platinum Sombrero Podcast. Big news for everybody. Now you can catch us on another network. Not only are we with Armchair All-Americans, who are fantastic, we have also joined the Grueling Truth Network. If you want to check them out on uh, the gruelingtruth.net is where you can find them. They literally have podcasts about everything. They've got Hall of Fame interviews, gigantic boxing interviews, MMA, soccer, the whole nine yards. Uh Great company, huge company. They're based in Indiana trying to branch out. They reached out to us. We thought it was a great fit. We are very excited to see what the grueling truth brings to the show. Uh, really fun to join them. Really excited for that. But before we get into anything, of course, we do have to mention our first sponsor, our very first one for the show, mybookie.ag. If you're looking to place some wagers, mybookie.ag is my favorite place to go. They've got the easiest lines to attach. They've got all the best prop bets in there. If you ever need any help understanding a line, understanding a specific bet or a, or a specific prop, their customer service is second to none. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they'll throw in a 50% initial deposit match, which means that whatever you throw in, $100, $150, $200, whatever, they will match 50% of that, and you'll get some extra playing money. MyBookie.ag, go online, go have some fun, go win some money, and show off to your friends. Uh, so we've had this guest on before, but he's 
he might be the coolest member of Braves Twitter, and I do say that with a little bit of envy. Um, it's a good friend of the show, extremely smart and intelligent man, uh, one of the best in terms of any Braves prospect you need to talk to. It is Garav Vidat. Garav, what's going on, buddy? Man, that was such an intro. Not much, man. How you doing? I'm thrilled to be back on with you guys and really happy to talk about some Braves baseball. Ready for that season to start? Is the, long, the offseason been long enough for you? Oh my god! It seems like it's lasted like the entire like forever. I, I hate it, especially now that we're starting to inch towards spring training, which means there's gonna be all that hype for those first. Why am I watching nine innings of BSL players? But I know I will. It's and gonna happen regardless. Somehow you're gonna get latched onto that one guy that's at the back end of spring training, wearing number like 82, who you know is not making it past first cuts. He threw a really nice slider that one time. I'm going to put him on my top 30. Right, I'm going to dynasty stash him. <laughs> but uh, before we do that, i got to give a quick shout-out. Good job to everybody that uh, our first few videos for the contest that we are running for Doc's Vacation Getaway. Uh, got a few going on there right now. All of them have been fantastic so far. Keep those coming. Uh, if you didn't catch last week's episode, you want to know what they are, DM us a 90-second video talking about any Braves topic you'd like to talk about. It could be the offseason. It could be what you're looking forward to this season. could be about free agency. could be about pace of play. Whatever you want to talk about, shoot us a 90-second video. Uh, DM us on, on Twitter at TPS underscore podcast or on the Facebook page. Just send us a message on there as well. If you don't have either of those and you want to email us, you can email us uh, at the platinum at the platinum sombrero. Uh, it's the platinum sombrero at gmail.com. If I could ever actually speak correctly, uh, get those out of the way. We'll announce the, we'll announce the winners starting February 22nd. We will start uh, going through and seeing who wins and, and break down the prizes. And uh, you guys win. Whoever wins gets to come on with us for a week with me and, um, I'll probably work on trying to get a good guest as well. Uh, I might make Doc do it since he'll be leaving for a week, but we'll, we'll work something out and you'll have a good time. Uh, so, so go through and do that. Now, when we get into spring training, everybody's favorite part of this, if you're you know big into the prospect side of things, is seeing which prospects got the NRIs. So before we get into anything else, Gaurav, who was your favorite NRI for the Braves? Like every notable prospect on there is my favorite. <laughs> no, I would actually have to go with. Uh, I've been hyping this guy a whole lot on Twitter, and I'm sure if anyone follows me, you know who I'm going to say. But it's got to be CJ Alexander. Wondered how long that would take. I threw this to you because you and Jason are friends, but Jason was a little salty on CJ Alexander. So uh, I don't know. Maybe you can change his mind here today. I am I am all things CJ Alexander, man. I could talk about him for like 30 minutes. Well, what is it that, that you do like about him so much? For any, anybody that's uninitiated and is not familiar with the name, because he, he's such a late entry. I mean, late, late draft pick and just kind of showed up and lit the world on fire in the second half of the season. Well, when, when we did draft him, I, I was talking to a close friend of mine and, I'm sure you guys know Matt Powers, and we both didn't expect him to sign just because we thought he would be over slot at his, like, with his skill set and what he can do. And we were able to, Braves were able to sign him, I think, for the minimum, which was ridiculous. And that's when Matt was like, seriously, man, you need to go take a look at him. And so I did, and I watched, like, hours of video of him on YouTube. I read up as much as I could. I talked to as many people as I could. And Getting his kind of talent when we did at that price point is is ridiculous. He he, he can be the complete player. I think 
Uh, he can show off uh, average to slightly above average defense at third with a great arm like that will make up for any kind of deficiencies he may have. He's got the perfect body to play that to play third as well. You know, he's got pretty solid feet. They're not the quickest, but he's got good feet, uh, great reactions. And then offensively, he has it all. Like, he can hit for power. He's got decent. He's actually got pretty good, pretty decent speed. Um, and he takes walks, and that's that's my big thing. I love a I love a player that can take a walk, and even if his like batting average will flag behind, which I don't, I still expect him to be like a 300 hitter. Even if he does have a downturn, he can still get on base at a good clip because of his eye at the plate. I really think I could see him making a massive jump uh, this season. I, I really hope he does because I talk about him a whole lot. And if he fails, or not fails, but if he doesn't hit my projections and, and everything, it'd be a pretty big miss for me because I don't have how much I'm hyping him up. But it is definitely him for those reasons. Well, you're the one that got me to even look into C.J. Alexander. And while I'm kind of in the middle of you and Jason, I'm not as high as you are, I'm not as low as Jason, uh, I the body you're talking about, when you talk about the perfect body for a corner infielder, specifically a third baseman, it is C.J. Alexander. Big, tall, mm-hmm. broad-shouldered, but he's not – he doesn't look overweight. He looks like a good athletic body who's got – limbs for days he's got big time he's got big time power in his body but i do have a bone to pick man uh he's got a, he needs to change that batting stance man i i hate his load yeah. i hate his uh i hate how narrow he is on his tap back i that if he wants to really tap into that power that's something i'd like to see him change i think i think me and you had a had a back and forth about that actually i was like who needs power when he when you hit you know 15 triples a season True, but he had two homers. How he had like twelve last year, but I still think it's hilarious. Two homers and fifty-two at bats, though that's not corner infield for me. But yeah. I definitely do think that he's got enough power. It's almost a bit like Grayson Janista when you look at them. You look at the frame. You look at the the inherent strength that they have. They have plenty of power in that body. It's just about refining the swing or the mechanics of the swing to access that power. And with CJ coming from State College of Florida. Uh, I'm sure that there is a lot of untapped potential. Not to throw any shade because State College of Florida is actually a pretty good program. Um, and their coach is actually a pretty decent coach. But when you're going from that type of competition level up to these, there's a reason why the mm-hmm. farmhands and the Brave system are up in the major leagues. It's why, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say it's, it's why I was so surprised that his level of production as soon as he hit, you know, as soon as he got up to the minors, like, I was expecting, you know, level of competition to kind of get to him, but he showed, you know, that it really wasn't a problem. And that's when I started thinking, okay, maybe this guy really is a legitimate, like he could be, he could actually be something. One of the biggest knocks on him, I think had to do with the fact that he had a really hot BABIP. I mean, it was over 400 at every single level that, that he played at last year, but a lot of the time BABIP is indicative of luck, but sometimes it's more just really, um, if you can get access to looking at hard hit rates and stuff like that, and that's that's when you start uh, – that type of information isn't really available as much for minor leaguers. You know, you, the teams have access to the track man, but it's not, not as readily available as you might see on Baseball Savant or something like that. So I'm really curious with him about how much of it had to do with luck and how much of it had to do with the fact that he was just scalding the ball. Because, you know, even if he's – hitting it on the ground if, if he's hitting it 110 miles per hour off the bat i mean it's it's not gonna find its way directly to somebody so mm-hmm. i do i want to i don't want a bigger sample size necessarily i just want a different sample size to see whether or not anything changes for him yeah that's totally fair and i and 
I have looked at his bat a whole lot, and it's, it is a, you know it's a perfectly valid criticism. Uh, I I still like I know I'm hyping him up, up a whole lot, and I know this is like a big. I don't think he's even on the top thirty in MLB pop like pipeline. And I was like I was hitting up Carlos saying, "Hey, is it weird if I have him in my Braves top ten by midseason?" Like that's how aggressive I am on him. I understand there's a lot of there are a lot of question marks and. What you said about the batting space is 100% accurate. Uh, I do want to see him while he has access to, you know, uh, better coaches, like better better equipment, see what kind of adjustment that will, or what kind of impact that stuff will have on him. So I think at, like, 2019, we could see him transform into, like, a, I think what he's capable of being, which is a top 100 prospect in baseball. That would uh, be something. That's what I could see. That would be something. That would be a that would be a home run pick for former scouting director Brian Bridges. Um, yeah, twenty second round, I believe, was it? Something like that. Yeah, twenty second or twentieth, one of those two. Uh, but it just when when I when we saw him drafted there, I legitimately did not think like I like I said, me and Matt did not think that he would sign just because we expected it to be well over. And the fact that we got him at slot value then was uh, huge, maybe because he was a third-year player and he was like, maybe, you know, maybe things will be different. So, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of want to ask him, do you just want to be a brave player? <laughs> right. And it opens up uh, It opens up the topic. Everybody knows by now, or they should, that Austin Riley was being dangled in talks for JT Real Muto, who we'll hit on in a second. But it makes you wonder that if the Braves are as high on C.J. Alexander as you are, Maybe do they take a chance thinking that Alexander can provide major league value and Camargo can in the meantime until Alexander's ready enough to make Riley available for for a certain upgrade at a, at a position. Not that they're trying to get rid of Riley, but that they feel that they have enough depth at the third base position to deal from a position of strength. And if you've got somebody like that in CJ Alexander who really comes through like that, that would be something incredible. That's that's kind of funny that our two like top-rated third baseman, and now we're now it's like gone from a, a barren closet to like trying to top top heavy, and it's one guy that they weren't sure was going to be a pitcher or or an infielder, and then the other guy was a, you know a mid twenty uh, earlier mid twenty round pick, like and that shows how good they are at scouting. Like it's it's crazy. I don't know how those guys do it. I don't know how they comb like amongst thousands of players in remote towns and are able to find these talents. It's, it's, it's insane. And you also look at a guy like Camargo, who was a scrawny, uh, undersized middle infielder up until about two years ago. And he and now Riley's trying to come in and, and uh, take the third base role from him. I'm, you know, I mean, Donaldson is kind of a special case there. But, I mean, the, the three youngest guys that, that we have that are vying for that position – very, very divergent paths they, they have all had. That's a really good point. <laughs> now, we know you love C.J. Alexander. Is there anybody else that you think could actually maybe use a, a spring training invite as a way to actually get on the club? Somebody like a, a Thomas Burroughs or a Corbin Klaus uh, or, or anybody like that? Yeah, yeah. Thomas has always been interesting to me because he's always succeeded in the in the organization, but the Braves seem seem like really reliant on on holding him back, despite his you know his age and then his his position being a reliever. You expect him to be you know like a little bit faster to move up. Uh, I I have to honestly say I haven't watched much of him last year, so I don't know how much has changed. Uh, but I. I 
I've seen I've seen what he can do, and I I would wouldn't be surprised if he was able to showcase uh, for a position on the staff. I thought he should should have been in Triple A honestly two years ago. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see him against higher caliber talent, and then like like you said, Corbin Clark too. He's succeeded everywhere he's like every level he's gone to. This will be a good chance to see him face some some. I want to see what he's really made of, and I think those two are <laughs> what's funny. Those two that you picked out right there are the, probably the, tie, the the highest two on my list to see them against real high-end talent and see if they're worthy of what all of us... I, mean, I know you guys are high on them as well. Like, I don't know. I, I'm rambling on right now, but <laughs> I, I you hit it like right out of the ballpark with, with those two players. Uh, Burroughs, is, he was one of my, my top three prospects to watch that we uh, we talked about last week. And, you know you're not really supposed to put relievers in your top 30 for the most part, you know, exceptions were made for AJ Minter because he has that yeah. super, super power stuff. You know, he, he was like number 14, 15 on team lists and Burroughs is number 19. Now I don't think that, that Burroughs is quite in the AJ Minter realm, but to even be on this list at all is, uh, is pretty unbelievable. I, I think, I think that he's, he's in for a really big year. And I think, I think he'll be on big league club um, after June. What I'm hoping for next year is we have the debut of another player. It's another relief. Well, I'm not entirely sure if he's going to be a starter or a reliever. I think his I think his floor is uh, MLB reliever, like high leverage reliever, and that's Trey Riley. You know, his fastball slider is insane, but that command is all types of wonky. And I think if we're able to see a full like a as we see him make those strides this this coming year. He might be a non-roster invitee for twenty for twenty twenty because he's got he's got it. Like he could be a major league pitcher if he was able to command anything, which he struggles with a lot right now. Uh, if he's able to turn around, I, I would say like that guy has another another arm you should definitely watch out for. Of course, they're going to want to keep him as a starter, and there's no reason not to. But he needs to work on that changeup a whole lot. I would pretty much guarantee Riley ends up in the bullpen. But when you bring up Riley and we yeah. talk about Burroughs, the thing that stands out for them is the slider. And Riley has the best slider in the entire system. Gohara probably has the second best slider. And number three would be Thomas Burroughs. And that is super important when you're talking about back into the bullpen pieces because they both have very good fastballs. Uh, Riley throws it significantly harder than Thomas, but Thomas has a lot of sink on his. It's almost like it's a... Uh, it's almost like he only throws a two-seam instead of a four. But both of their sliders are true wipeout pitches, and that's why I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see Thomas. Uh, I, I'm, I agree with you. I thought he's been too. I thought he's been held back too much. Now, he's, he's struggled with walks at times. Uh, he actually he obliterated double-A, absolutely obliterated in a small sample size. But it, it kind of mirrors what happened with Corbin Klaus, where he goes through these stretches where he can't seem to find the plate. Uh, and then when he gets it all clicking, his mechanics are right. Nobody can touch him. So I'm interested to see those two. And I know he's not going to make the big league club this year, but good Lord, man, I want to see what, what William Contreras can do with another spring training under his belt. I mean, if the Braves weren't ready to commit a bunch of resources for JT, they must really think highly of William, right? Like, if we're not willing to give up, prospects for an established star that must mean you have an ace in the hole that you really think can bridge that gap and so I, I mean I really I really want to see him I really want to watch him over the whole course of the season too like 
now that he's going to start facing, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to start probably in, do you think he'd be in high A again? No, he only played like 20 games there, so probably high A. And with the midseason call up to double A, I can't wait to see him call a game there. Because from all accounts, from everyone I've talked to, he's, he calls a master game. Pitchers love pitching to him. And then that bat, like if you can have that kind of production at that position with that caliber defense, he could he could he could be a real special find for the Braves. No doubt. And and seeing uh, seeing Fangraphs list, they just came out with their top 130 prospects today. Ten Braves represented. But uh, that was the highest ranking I've seen on Contreras. They had him at 55, which Whoa. yeah, wow. yeah, which is that's crazy. And they they had also had Pache at 19 and Waters at 49. Those are the most aggressive placements I've seen for either of them too. And and some of that might be uh, Kylie McDaniel, who played a huge part in this list. He used to work he used to work for the Braves, so he's seen. It's not like he's just seeing seeing a guy for for a couple of games. I mean, he was in the same organization that this guy came up in. So he obviously knows, knows a lot about this guy. And, and you're right. He, he can call a master game where he's at offensively now for being 19, 20 years old and being a catcher. I mean, usually if somebody profiles to be a future AJ Ellis, you know, uh, as long as they can call the game, then they have a, a long major league career then. But if you can hit as well, you know, if the, if his ceiling is higher than his brother's ceiling, then I mean, you're Ooh. talking about it all talking about an all-star. And that's actually who I was exactly about to bring up is uh, Wilson. And it, it's weird that they their prospect rankings and evaluations have almost followed the exact same path. Don't forget Wilson was was never expected to really be anything himself. He was a super low prospect. Uh, all of a sudden broke out when people saw what a cannon he had for an arm and the power in his bat. Uh, and Wilson is quickly one of the top catchers in the majors. And I think that William is actually a more well-rounded catcher, whereas Wilson has a stronger arm. William has a more accurate arm and is a much better defensive catcher, especially as far as framing and blocking go. Those are certain things that just come naturally. You know, There's some stuff that you can teach, but there's some things that you just kind of have to have the inherent skill to do. And if he's got it, I mean, he could be... Is it too soon to drop the Javi Lopez comp? Not, not yes. in terms of necessarily the offensive profile, but just in terms of being like that anchor um, behind the plate or or BMAC or whoever. I mean, there there's some some long standing uh, catchers in the in the Braves organization for a long time. Man, and offensively gifted, uh, like the kind of like Javi, like the Javi bat with um, Tyler Flowers behind the plate. Like I don't, that's of course dream scenario, but yeah, Eddie Perez, there's, man, he's there's the a lot best. to like about him. He's the best combination of Javi and Eddie Perez. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But uh, you guys, we did bring up JT Romuto, and we would be remiss not to discuss that trade a little bit. Uh, Braves fans, for the most part, have been very frustrated, myself included, uh, with the pace of this offseason where we started out red hot, and it looked like for once the Braves were actually going to be players again in free agency, and then it ground to a screeching halt. Now, Garov, you've kind of kept my head afloat with some of these things. Um, but when you talk about JT, this is the one thing where, like, I'm okay that they did not dedicate what the Marlins wanted for that. Would have been, uh, what was the package? It was Ian Anderson. Uh, to match Philly, it would have been Ian Anderson and Austin Riley, which I would not do that for two years of any catcher. I, I would if we didn't have 
holes potentially at shortstop and right field and then a hole offensively in center field. That's a fair point. Because then you're talking about having three holes in your lineup essentially whenever JT's gone. So, like, if we had a more – if we had a lineup like like Boston, right, where it's just depth one from eight and you could acquire a a player like JT – then I'm willing to risk like sell the farm because you're talking about multiple titles. But for the Braves, once it started taking, you know, everyday, you know, multiple multiple everyday position prospects and then a high caliber arm like Ian, uh, like it sucks not being able to get him, but I I get it. it I I could be way off base here and, and I know that, that Sixto Sanchez, who wound up being the centerpiece from Philadelphia that went to Miami, I mean, when he's healthy he is legit. He is one of the one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball. And Jorge Alfaro, I I get he's not a throw-in, but he he's not like a, a blue chip prospect anymore. But I swear, every time I see these packages, I'm looking at it going, Philly got him for less than they were asking for everybody else. The package yeah. they were asking asking from the Dodgers was even more ridiculous than what they were asking for Atlanta. They were asking for Gavin Lux, Dustin May, and either Will Smith or Kiva Ruiz. I mean, that's that's three top seventy guys. I mean, that's that's nuts. That's and then they wound up taking him for somebody who was ranked, say, top twenty five, and then somebody whose eligibility got exhausted. And Will Stewart's not exactly a lottery ticket, but he's not not a lottery ticket. So. I don't know. It seems like Miami got their got their blue chip that they were looking for, and they they got some other stuff too. But they, it's almost like they still somehow settled at the end. You know, they they couldn't extort additional prospects out of anybody else, and this is just they got the the one big guy and some other stuff to go along with it. Maybe just it's really like Alfaro. Yeah, I, I suppose so. He looked better in the second half than he than he did at any point in his career up until then. And I guess unless the Braves were planning on putting flowers in the in that same package, then they would they wouldn't have really had anybody to, to play behind the plate. Alfaro's still a good catcher, especially defensively, and he has a ton of pop in his bat. Got some questions with him about a hit tool, but it's not long ago that he was a top prospect himself. I I thought initially that it was that it was kind of a big package uh, when you talk about the the potential of Alfaro, uh, and if Sixto actually stays healthy, that's a dynamite arm. Now. Him staying healthy is another question entirely, but it does leave you the question. And Garav, I'm going to throw this one to you. What do what do the Braves do now? Where are they sitting at this off season? You think they stand pat, or do you think that there's another that there's a surprise move somewhere in the works? There, there are two players that I want. I want the Braves to acquire, which is I'm sure everyone knows. Like I, I do think we have too many holes offensively to really compete for a World Series and to do to help that you need to acquire someone like Machado or, or Harper because their offensive output is going to be greater than anyone else that we could acquire. Like that's just a fact. I one hundred percent want one of one of those two in our lineups just to help shore it up. Uh, other than that, I mean what else can you do? You've got to go straight reliever but it, there's no starting pitcher to really worth trying to, to sign. Um, you just got to show up the bullpen and hope some of these prospects work out uh, in the starting rotation. You see them being players on the on the trade market. You think that there's anybody that particularly fits outside of the obvious two names? You think there's any trade markets that are trade guys that fit? I don't, I don't know. That's, that's so tough to really to to really guess. You know, like who is available and who is not. Like Oda. 
going into the season or going into the off season, you see Odovino and you're like, oh my God, please. And then he signs for a lot less than you expect as well, which made me a little frustrated because I would have liked to have been a player for him. Uh, but no, I can't really think of many of many trade targets just because of you don't know exactly who is available. It's it's kind of it's kind of tough for me. And we've had we've had names thrown about all off season, whether it's Hanniger, whether it's Keiko, whether it's Harper, Machado, Ottavino, Kimbrel reunion, whatever it is. Every week we seem to have a new name that we keep throwing around. Uh, whether it's just desperation and hope, or whether it's just throwing to a big name. Um, it, it, for me, the most frustrating part of this is not necessarily the names. Like I said, I was okay with not paying that exor- that absor- exorbitant of a price on JT Real Muto. Uh, but the Ottavino thing was criminal that you weren't in on him at that price. Um, there have been a few other signings that were extremely cheap that I'm like, uh, Kelvin Herrera. I was extremely upset that you weren't in on him oh, at yeah. that price under 10 million a year for, for a guy that aside from his nationals playing last year was one of the best closers in the game. Um, The more frustrating part to me is coming out, holding your belt buckle, you know, strutting your stuff, saying that we can shop anywhere we want. Our payroll is going to go up. We're going to be big time shoppers and players, and we're going to really improve this team. And you did improve the team. You are a better team today than you were uh, when you got put out by the Dodgers last year. But you're under the payroll from where you're at before, so don't go, don't go around telling me how much you made from the battery, 124 million from the battery, and then tell me, oh well, we actually have to be very cognizant with how much money we spend after you just spent this whole off season parading around the fact that you can buy whoever you want. If I can you know jump what? in, if okay. I can jump in on that just real quick, I I'm still not convinced that they're not in on the big guys, okay? Because how much are they are they under last year's payroll? Like $15 million? I mean, realistically, it's only going to take one more signing to get them to last year's payroll or slightly above. But I think they know exactly how bad the optics are going to be if they've been, if they've been hold, you know, holding out the belt buckle and saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to spend stupid money Atlanta style or whatever, and then coming in, $15 million below last year's payroll. They know how bad that's going to look. And I kind of don't... I trust Alex Anthopoulos to do the right thing, but I don't trust a word he says through Bowman or really anybody, just because I think that he knows how smart you have to be to play the game. And I, I also think that like for his gunslinger mentality, like the wheeling and dealing, like he, he operated through big trades in Toronto. And I think that he's also kind of figured out now that he's he's got to be cognizant of the volume of prospects that he's trying to trade. So maybe he's trying to make a big splash in the free agent market. I'm telling you, until Bryce Romani signed elsewhere, I maybe it's just foolish optimism. It probably is, but I refuse to believe that the Braves are not in on those guys. I'm telling you, they they obviously know. if we know who are we? We're nobody, and we know these things. So if we know these things, the guys who are focusing on this, they obviously know these things too, right? No, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think I think they have to be like you can't you can't pass up adding one of the top you know thirty players in the league. Uh, they have to be on you know, it. Just doesn't make sense. I think every team needs to be on them, no matter if it's a fit or not. Uh, I hope the Braves are super aggressive on either because both would make the lineup in, infinitely better. 
yeah, I, I think that that even even if they kind of they did what John Middleton did, you know, when he when he came out and, and said stupid money, the, the Phillies are going to spend stupid money. He put himself in a position to have to spend money. So even if the Phillies offseason stopped now with everything they've done, they have had a very, very impressive offseason, but they haven't spent a ton of money. But so people are expecting that they have to spend all of that money, not just acquiring good value-based resources that are worth some money. But like people are, if they don't sign Bryce Romani, it is going to be a failure for them. If they have to quote unquote mm-hmm. settle for signing Kimbrel or signing Keuchel, then their fans are going to be pissed, and they're from Philadelphia, so they're going to be extra pissed. <laughs> so, so like. When you set that type of expectation, like even if they get backed into a corner and they have to give Manny three hundred and fifty million dollars when they only want to give him half of that, well then, you know, you still want people to come to games. And I think the Braves are in the same position. They, they made these big boastful claims. They're gonna do something. They've got to do something, right? They they have to do something. I would agree. They got the Phillies have to do something, and that's a good transition. We're going to talk about that. Speaking of spending stupid money, but before we do, real quick, I got to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, uh, Tick Splits. If you're looking to get some tickets to go to whatever event you want to go to, concerts, games, whatever else there is, I'm sure there's other things. I'm just a luddite and don't know. But if you want to go to some Braves games this year, you don't want to spend the outrageous ticket fee prices that you get on Seat Geek. Or Ticketmaster, use tick splits. They don't charge you a seat fee at all. It's just the ticket price, just like it, just like it used to be in the good old days. Um, not only that, use our promo code Armchair. They'll throw five percent off your total ticket price, so it'll be a lot more effective over the long haul. Instead of buying four tickets and four seat uh, four seat fees, use tick splits. Get yourself in good with a brand new company that is taking the game over by storm. Ticksplits.com. And when the Phillies general manager said they were going to spend stupid money, you start thinking, all right, well, that automatically means Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. I think Manny's a better fit for them, but either one of those, I think Harper might be – I think Harper – I said Harper was my pick to go to Philadelphia, and Manny ends up in New York. I'm not so certain how that how that turns out, but I think I'm still feeling kind of strong on that, unfortunately. But they went – instead of spending stupid money, they got mm, – what I want to say, one of the top five – best contracts now in baseball with what they did with Aaron Nola. Four years, $45 million for a pitcher that were it not for DeGrom having an historic season, Aaron Nola would have won his first Cy Young. That's a great deal. That's a fantastic deal. I mean, for but who, who's like Jose Ramirez of Cleveland has a better contract, maybe. And definitely, and now, no, he's got the best contract in all of baseball. And I'm, I'm trying to think who else, who else beyond him. But I mean, now Philadelphia, that's not even spending stupid money. That's being very wise. That's that's spending very, very smart money. So, man, Matt Clintock, that's a that's a good move. Like I, like I was just saying, Philly's had a really, really impressive offseason. I, I don't get it. I just why would he do that? I don't. I'm I'm trying to figure this out. The only thing I can I think I of is he's, only thing I can think of is he's worried about strike, so he wants to have a contract in before the strike hits. I would gamble, man. <laughs> I agree with you. That you could easily you could easily be okay with spending over twenty million per season, and he's going to come in at what like a fraction. I don't. I I don't understand it, but congrats to Philly. 
congrats with a you know with a backhanded compliments full of knuckles there uh, because I don't want them to sign good players like Aaron Nola. But uh, the fact that the most he's going to make is a $16 million option, that's just insane to me. Uh, But it does give you an idea of what some of these extensions may look like now that we're in this era. And I hate to say this, of free agent freeze. I don't like this term because it's totally taken out of context, whereas people just talk about, oh, nobody wants to pay players what they're worth now. It's kind of a reset of the market from where marginal players were getting vastly overpaid just a few years prior. So the reason that happened, now everybody had to kick out their front offices for wasting all that money and bring in guys who were more analytically savvy and and more cautious with the money. So now you've got some some free agents sitting out in the cold. And it's also being overrepresented right now. Like, yes, Bryce and Manny deserve big-time paydays. Uh, outside of all of the free agents left, Bryce, Manny, Kimbrell, that's it. Everybody else is average to slightly above. And so many of the, the people that, that are, that have not signed deals. I mean, it's, it's one dimensional guys, you know, Evan Gaddis, Derek Dietrich, uh, Matt Wieters. He's not even one dimensional anymore. He's like three quarters of a dimension, you know? So I just, I don't really think that there's, that it's nearly as much about collusion as much as, as it is people, their front offices now having a lot of data being able to say, we don't want this guy. So what, what is this guy going to add to our team? Like zero war. That's, that's not, he's the very definition of a replacement level player. And there's 112 of those guys that are out there right now. But then just to, to take another point, the other point of view, like you're a week out from spring training. How are those top three guys still unsigned? Well, I'll say one yeah. thing. I think the ten-year contract is done. Uh, I think the problem yeah, is agents. I, I agree with that. I, think I don't the, think I don't think those work out either for the for the player or the team. No, I think it's stupid for the player like Bryce or Manning to want that. And I think that that's a Scott Boris ego thing. I think the and it's an ego thing for the players too. Not I'm not saying this to say that like you see some posts that call them greedy or selfish. Like no, you're an idiot. You get whatever you're worth. Um, if somebody's willing to pay you this, you bring in X amount of revenue. They're not going to pay you enough to overpay for what you bring in. Like Mike Trout could ask for $500 million. And as far as relative baseball terms go, he'd be worth it. But the difference is Harper and Machado, they want these long years. And my only thought is you want that pride of saying, I have the biggest contract. You want to break Giancarlo's record. Who got what? 10 years and two eighty five, I think it was, um, but you want to be the guy to break that? To me, that's a dumb idea. I thought it was dumb when Giancarlo did it. To me, you're talking about guys that are 26 years old, 26, 27. Take a five-year deal and break the record for average annual value. Get. I have no doubt in my mind that somebody would give him 35 to 40 million a year over the course of three to five years. To me, that just screams smarter investment. So then, when you go back into free agency, you're still in your prime. You're set up to do it again. Well, this is where the opt-outs come in as well, like where you can say, you know, worst-case scenario, I'll be with you for 10 years. Like if uh, Harper breaks his foot or he gets this the worst case of plantar fasciitis ever and he's not able to re- re-enter the, the market for, for whatever reason, you know, he still wants that the reasonable assurance that he's going to wind up having something waiting for him instead of having to be Derek Dietrich in like 2025. Or whatever, because he opt, opts out, and then and there's so much uncertainty right now. Like the strike in 2022 is gonna be awful, you know. And and I think that all of the players know that too. And anything they can do to to give themselves any level of assurance for some type of deal, like they know they're not gonna get 10 years. 
but they're going to keep asking for it until somebody finally gives them eight or, or close, you know? Would you rather have a 10 year deal at, let's, let's just like keep similar price points, like a 10 year deal at, um, whatever the equivalent of three. I think a good one for, for Bryce would be three at 120, you know, 40 mil per, per, per year for three years. And then the whole strike thing. And then, new issue like I'm sure teams are going to shell out money after that like would you be willing to do three at 120 <laughs> I would not have to hesitate I'd do that for either one of those two players because the problem yeah, now absolutely. what you brought up Doc with with Harper oh we'll take the 10 year at worst it's 10 years Braves can't do that because they've got another 300 million dollar player who they're going to have to pay in six years so that's one of those things that if it's and if it's anything that's six years and beyond that's something I can guarantee you Alex is not going to want to be in on. Well, and this this is where the hang-up is. I mean, the front offices and the players are both being very smart about this, but they're they're too they're just too far apart on it, you know? Like it it could be it could be marked by this point. You know, Jake Arrieta signed so deep in the season last year that he wound up staying back and extended. He didn't make his first start until like 3 weeks in April because he signed he signed so late and he he was supposed to be seven years and 175 million, and he wound up taking three and 75 because the market just the market just wasn't there. It used to be that you know players would say, you know give me 250 million dollars, and teams would just say okay, and and everything everything was fine. But the sample size is big enough now to where they know you can't you just can't do that anymore. It cripples your franchise. So the opt outs and all that that's a really good way to counteract some of that. But you see you see it with Jason Hayward. You know, you put these opt-outs in because you think, well, if this guy can perform even close to his next level, the money in a couple of years will be more than it is now. So he's we're only going to have to worry about this guy for three years unless he shows up in Chicago and he sucks. Then that's when, that's when you're saddled with it. So the players are, are obviously smart to be asking for as much and as long as they can, but the teams are equally as smart for just saying, you know, I hate to say this to your face, but you're not worth that. Or I hate to say this to your agent's face, but this, this dude over here, he's, he's not worth that. And then you have Aaron Nola doing the exact opposite. <laughs> right. And that's that's the way things, that's so much more of that. You know, with, with Sun, I wondered after the Sonny Gray extension, I wondered again after Whit Merrifield, and I'm wondering now, like all of these guys, is it just safer to say, I'm just going to stick with inertia here, I'm just going to sign, an extension with this team, even if I got to leave some money on the table, it beats the uncertainty. It beats the having to go and, and eventually be told, well, maybe I'm not worth as much as I thought I was not even so much like the ego damage thing, but Oh no, I, I was expecting to make $20 million and now I'm only making 10. Poor me. One really interesting thing it poses is Mike Fulton because Aaron Nola is better than Mike Fulton Now Mike, Mike took a, I don't even want to say a giant step because that's an understatement. Like he took like a 10 foot leap forward from where he was two seasons ago. He was absolutely phenomenal. Nola was still better. And you see what Nola signed for. You got to think that, that puts Mike in kind of a bit of a difficult situation. It helps out the Braves because that you can put a cap and say, Hey, here's what Nola got. Here's what Nola did. So here's what you're worth. But if you're Mike, you gotta be a little pissed off after after arbitration in the last two years. Neither one you really got what you were hoping to get. Now you're coming into this where it's time for you to actually get your contract. If you're the Braves, you're gonna be thinking, "All right, cool, we might actually be able to lock up Fulty at a deal that's team friendly." What yeah, do you do? The jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do what do you guys do? Like Garab, if you if you were in a position to to present a contract offer to Mike Fultonavich based on 
his performance last year and what Nola just got. What what do you what do you come at him with? Like what do you think is reasonable for him? I I would just give him I would start off at Nola's deal and then work my way upward. Like he deserves to get paid more than that. They both do. I uh, I think the Nola deal should be the floor for him. In all honesty, like that should be worst case scenario. Uh, I'm sure they'll they'll try and go underneath it, but I would be seriously offended if I was Mike and the Braves offered me less than that, less than what Nola got. That's what I would want the negotiations to start at, and I think that'd be more than okay, and it'd be worth it. They're almost going to have to because Julio Tehran makes about the same that Aaron Nola is going to make per season, so you know Mike's going to need to get paid more than Tehran. Uh, when you say it like that, that really kind of underscores how good of a deal that is. <laughs> right. Or how, how, how different things were when Julio signed. Because Julio signed for three and or uh, six and 32 five years ago. And it was an amazingly team-friendly contract. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and now four for 45 is still, I mean, for that level of performance, wow. But front front half of deals versus back half of deals, and uh, you know you get an extra nine hundred innings on that arm after uh, after all that time. So <clears throat> performance stepped down a little bit, but Julio does still he does still have a place. That's that's my number four starter right there. He has a place. It's it's called someone else's city. Uh, he ain't going anywhere. If you're an opposing GM. You wouldn't trade for Julio Tehran. If I was a San Diego Padres GM, I most certainly would. If it's between Julio and Clayton Richard, you better believe I'm taking Julio. Clayton, Clayton's in Toronto now. They even they, they got rid of him. That's a horrible idea by Toronto to give a guy that is sucks at giving up home runs at big-time ballparks. You just brought him into a launch pad in the AL East where four out of the five stadiums are launch pads. That's stupid. But I don't want to get caught up on that. So the reason that we love to talk to Garov and why Garov's one of my favorite people in the entire universe is because I can talk majors and minors with him. Garov knows it all, and he knows it better than nearly anybody else I've ever spoken to. Uh, so I'm going to have you dig deep here, Garov. Give me an unheralded offensive spark in 2019 for the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves, and they have to be in the minors? Doesn't have to be in minors. Just just somebody like you can't pick a, oh, well, uh, Johan Camargo is going to be a super stud this year. Or, oh, Ozzy's going to be amazing. Or, oh, Acuna is going to take another step. Gonna give me somebody that nobody's really expecting it from. Hmm. <laughs> Charlie Culberson. Really? He has an encore. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to go with Charlie. I think he's going to provide ridiculous value for us. I think we're going to be able to use Camargo and, and Culberson in, in such a way that it will make other teams just salivate. We'll get, we won't get dropped in production at major key uh, areas. And, I mean, let's be real. When, when Camargo or Charlie are playing short, you know, it's a better offensive uh, projection, uh, projected lineup. Like, uh, I, I like what I saw from him last year. I love his versatility. I think, uh, I think with another year of AA's analytics there and, and Snickers adapting some to the new game, I, I could see both, both Camargo and uh, Charlie getting significant at bats despite not technically like um, – Having a starting position. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they both see significant at bats. And, um, 
yeah, I, I, I liked what I saw from him. I, I think he can continue what he did last year, if not improve. That is uh, that is good because I'm not expecting an encore offensive production from Charlie. Uh, I'm just going to say this: you guys know that I'm pretty much the front runner for get rid of Dansby. Um, if Camargo loses significant at bats, and we're talking about like he only gets 250 or 300 at bats, I will start an I will start a viral campaign. Like I'll I'll go march in front of SunTrust Stadium for this. I'll I'll sign a petition. I got you, man. That would be ridiculous. I appreciate it. My other question is, though, if you don't – who now I'm going to interject because I just thought of something else, but I have asked this of pretty much everybody since I've really thought about the idea. Instead of it being Camargo playing shortstop where right now his body's not exactly fit for it, he put on all that mass to play third base, so it kind of hampered his range a little bit. What would you think about Ozzy flipping back to short and Camargo playing second? I have literally always thought that Ozzy's a shortstop, always. The only thing that didn't have, the only thing that wasn't working out a few years ago was his arm was erratic. He's got no problem with that now. He's got, he, he was rated as having one of the best arms. I never know. I never understood why people were like, oh, but his arm isn't good enough. No, he's always been rated as one of the top arms in the, in the organization. I, I always thought that he should be the shortstop and Dansby should, should be the second baseman. Same here. So, yeah. Same here. Dansby was the second baseman at Vanderbilt. He got beat up by Victor Conti. Um, and, Dansby has the worst arm of the three. He's got the most accurate of the three, but arm strength-wise, it's the worst of the three. I would I would do that in a heartbeat, man. I would love to have Ozzy be the starting shortstop and then, you know, Dansby, Camargo, work, work their magic over at second. Like, yeah. Dansby can go away now then because of – Defensive special, <laughs> a defensive specialist second baseman is not as intriguing as a defensive specialist shortstop. So whatever. With uh, my hate aside, I do hope he has a huge offensive season. Speaking about Dansby, because I can't have three holes in my lineup this year. Uh, he's got to do something. Now, the other question I'm going to ask you this is who takes who takes a gigantic step on the defensive end, aside from Ender, who is the best defender on this team. Who is the next guy who comes out of nowhere to be the a, a, a better defender than anybody thinks? That's that's really tough. That's really tough because all the all the players really pretty much every single player on the team had major strides defensively. Like I, I'm trying to think of who last. I mean, really, the only one I could think of is Acuna. That's what I was going to say wasn't the best defender, but we know what he's capable of. He's capable of being a plus defender in center. So that's really the only person I think that we could see straight, like, uh, improvements from. You agree with those, Doc? I think so. Um, I do. I, I love uh, the idea of Culberson being, being the offensive spark, uh, to, to go back just a minute or two. Um, I actually... Uh, I'm going to say Dansby is going to be my offensive spark. This Shocker. Year. I still believe in yeah, it. I hope so. Yeah, you, Dylan, you hateful. So hateful. But I, I think Dansby still got it in him. Um, even even if he can just play uh, the same level of defense he was playing last year and take a small incremental step uh, similar to what he did from 17 to 18, I think that that keep, keeps him in a starting role uh, just because up up the middle position. It's a premium position, and he's he is a really good defender. Uh, he's got got great range uh, over there. So I, I think that any anything additional from him, uh, from what we got last year, is going to be huge. Um, 
as far as stepping up on the defense, I'm actually going to say Tyler Flowers is going to have a resurgence in his caught stealing rate because he's already a great framer. And uh, the biggest lacking part of his game is probably is the fact that he throws out one out of every 45 guys that try to steal on him. Yeah, but those directly so what, correlate. What's the significant jump? Because he can go from like 5% to like 15%. And like it's a 10% <laughs> jump, but it's still terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if he can get it, if he can get it to 25, because I think at some certain points last season he was running it at really like, 12 13% which is at that at that point just give just give the guy second base save your arm strength don't even don't even throw it down there <laughs> um but yeah i mean and part of that is like i'm just i'm just reaching for something because you know in a on a team where you know the analytics department was able to turn Nick Barkakis into a gold glover even if it's a manufactured award i mean that's a freaking major thing to be able to do and and Acuna, you saw some you saw some of it last year uh, with with the defense, the things that he's capable of doing. He was thought he was much better in, in center than he was in left. But who knows? That there could be some type of outfield move that uh, that forces him over into right field, and you whoever the new outfielder is winds up going into left. And Acuna has to learn how to play uh, balls off of the bricks. That's one thing that Marquez has actually been really good at for the past two years is learning how to play the caroms. Um, and play the angles off of that. So, yeah, defensively, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a whole lot more out of this team than what we got last year. So of all of the things I'm concerned about for this team, which truthfully is not a ton of things, defense is the one I'm, I'm the least concerned about. But I would be curious to ask you, Garav, as far as unheralded star for the pitching staff, or more specifically, the bullpen. Do you think anybody, it's, it's going to be the anyone, excuse me, do you think it's going to be anyone that we've already kind of mentioned on this episode, or is it somebody else that uh, you've been kind of waiting to name drop? Mm. No, not necessarily. I think, I think, I think, uh, based on what I've been talking to, too, they're, they're expecting huge rebound season for Darren O'Day. So someone we never got to see could make, you know, could help us out a whole lot. Uh, but other than he's already on the team, it's got to be. Those big three, the the Burroughs, Klaus, not Riley. Riley definitely won't make the team, but those two, maybe maybe a Tristan Beck. Chad Sabaka. Uh, sorry? Chad Sabaka. Hold on, so, take this well, slander. I he's going to be on the team. I automatically assume he's going to make it. I, I, I can't imagine a world where he doesn't. You don't have someone throw that hard with that much sink and not make a big league team. Chad Sabaka is gonna be best friends with Rick Kranitz. He's not gonna. He's gonna keep his walks under three per or under four per nine, and he's gonna be our closer by midseason. Wow! I, I, <laughs> if you think about the potential in this bullpen, if, if Sabaka does what he's capable of, this guy you know stays healthy. Minter is who we think he is. I really think his walks are gonna come down significantly. Uh it could be like a really legitimate straight, like we will strike you out or you're not going to like hit us hard at the bucket case. Like you're just not going to make hard contact. Like, the bullpen could be a huge plus. Of course, well, I mean, there's a million different factors and maybe that's, but like I see why the Braves might not be ready to commit a high salary to like a Kimbrel just because they have players already that are capable of it. 
I've said this before. I wouldn't anyway. Relievers are too volatile. It's the easiest position to replace. And I don't think that the Braves are in a bad situation. I think four of your best bullpen arms last year all went over their previous career highs for innings limits. When you talk about Winkler, Carl, Biddle especially, you had a whole bunch of guys coming off of injuries. Like Those guys are just going to naturally progress, seeing as it's going to be year one to year two. You've got the starting rotation guys. You're not going to have all of them throw in Gwinnett or Mississippi. Some of them are going to matriculate to the bullpen, whether it be Freed or Gohara or Bryce Wilson, who I think is the real guy that I think would settle into a bullpen role really nicely because he throws nothing but strikes. I'm not worried about the bullpen. Everybody can say, oh, we need a super elite closer. No, you really don't. Uh, as long as everybody is about on the same level bullpen-wise or close to it, then your bullpen is fine. Generally, that super, super level closer, unless you're willing to use him at unorthodox times, that closer becomes more of a crutch than anything, which we saw with Craig Kimbrell. Um, I'm not going to give a closer more than – I really wouldn't give a closer more than $12 million a season. By the way, I should also mention, all bias aside on Dansby, I will give you a true – what I what it would take for me to say that Dansby deserves to start. Just give me a Jose Peraza offensive season and Dansby's the starter. Absolutely. Like the average. No, with with that defense, you know, putting up a yeah. seven twenty five OPS, I mean I'll, I'll take that out of Dansby because he's some of that some of that is going to be power. I mean he hit what fourteen home runs last year. So to Peraza. I mean, so give me fourteen homers, give me anywhere from that two sixty, two seventy two. Cut down on the strikeouts a little bit for me, please, because he he looks exactly like Frank Hor. If you watch his stance and his swing, it's exactly like Frenchie. And while I love Frenchie, I don't want my shortstop emulating that swing. You know who is another interesting name? Uh the watch in the bullpen is Grant Dayton, too. He should be. I keep forgetting he, like, about really him. Now? I keep yes. forgetting about him. Yeah, he I, was a beast in L.A. We're talking, what was it, like mid, mid-12, K per nine, something around that? Like, the dude just strikes out people. Like a 232 ERA, something insane. Yeah, and low walks, too. Like, when he his last healthy, fully healthy season was 2016, but... It, based on the timing of his Tommy John, he hasn't thrown competitively in like 19 months. I mean, it's been a long time. So he is, he, if he is not 100%, then he's got some type of pre existing something going on. But yeah, he could be the amount of lefties in this bullpen is going to be really, really impressive. Is Dayton and Biddle and the possibility for Freed and Mincer? I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of candidate. lefties. That's a lot of lefties. It's a lot of lefties. So, um, yeah, good call on, on Grant Dayton. He, he's one, and it's similar to O'Day. You get him, and he just kind of – and it's uh, similar to Jacob Lindgren, uh, who is with the, with the White Sox now, but it was the same type of thing where you get him, you just hold him for a little bit. Nobody's going to see him. Half the people that pay attention to the team or less than that are even going to know that he's even in the organization at all. <laughs> so, you know, when he's going to show up in spring training and then there's going to be a ton of people saying – the hell did we get Darren O'Day? Who's Grant Dayton? You know, and, but these are legit options. And if it comes down to paying a guy like Tony Sip, who's a great reliever, but Big I mean, fan. he's probably probably asking for, I don't know, what three million, four million dollars a year, somewhere around there. I mean, if you can get the exact same amount of production from Jesse Biddle, from Grant Dayton at an eighth of the cost, well then. 
I mean, once again, that's that's just kind of smart baseball. And that's and a lot both of, the, of them could be really good. Yeah, they definitely yeah. could. Now I'm starting to wonder which lefty gets left out of the pen. Now I'm not feeling so hot about Klaus and Burroughs actually making the squad. There's a lot of lefties to be in that pen. You don't want to go with uh, six lefties in the in the big league bullpen. Six lefties and two righties. <laughs> Bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it works out. For <laughs> right. Him. We need a Justin Wilson, a lefty who's better against righties, and one of those that just offset the sheer number of lefties we have. Which I think, by the way, Biddle would be that guy because he actually is better against right-handers. Um, it has to do with his curveball and his release point on his curve. But and our. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I'm just looking over the uh, the active roster right now. I'm looking at all the arms and like this pen. It could be scary good. Like it could be scary good for a long a long amount of time. I'm guessing you won't have to see as many people riding the Gwinnett shuttle back and forth. Uh, I think that it's yeah, a, I, a much more solid and stay intact type of bullpen. I don't think you see Luke Jackson. I don't think you see Colby Allard. Sam Freeman. Um, you won't see Wes Parsons. Um, like, it could be a very good bullpen. And we haven't even mentioned Patrick Weigel or Jacob Webb, who are both. Yeah. I, and Dylan, I know you're not quite as high on Webb, but he's, you know. Webb has super high strikeouts, like, like super high strikeout rates, and he has like three or four pitches, which is cool. I just don't trust him to like put his shirt on without tearing his arm. <laughs> and and he could and good, at this time last year you could have said the same thing about Chad Sabaka. Yeah, but Chad Sabaka is a monster of a man too. Yeah, Webb is a little more um, you know human sized, but right. But still, so give me the giant. Being being six seven does does help you get a little bit of sync. Based on our conversation last week, I'm not going to bring up downhill plane. <laughs> Please don't. But. Uh, no, I wouldn't wouldn't dream of it. But uh, but but this just underscores the point of like when you start looking at all of these guys and Gwinnett's bullpen is going to be preposterous, preposterous. Yeah. And and so yeah, even if you do have guys riding that Gwinnett shuffle, it'll be less out of um. You, it's, you're not going to be calling up Miguel Sokolovich. You know what I mean? Or, or it's, you're not going to have to lean on West Parsons as much because you're going to have all of that depth about 40 minutes from the stadium or three hours if it's in rush hour. Nobody's going to score on that Gwinnett team. Think about that. Their rotation is going to be any win. It could be something like Bryce, uh, Kyle Wright, Gohara, Freed could be a member there, although I think he's on the big league club. Uh, Kyle Muller, who we haven't even mentioned in this episode. Ian Anderson's going to be up there extremely quickly. Wes Parsons. I mean, there there is an untold number. Colby Allard, I guess. There's an untold number of insanely, insanely good AAA pitchers that are going to be there, um, and that's a good transition because we talked about the major leagues with with Garav. I want to get your thoughts on some of the minor league guys. And we talked to Jason last week, and everybody on the Twitter has been doing this. Uh, your three favorite players to watch. I know we can all guess CJ Alexander. So give me two more. Three favorite players to watch. I mean, I'm massive, massive Ian Anderson fan. I'm I put him as my number one prospect going going up against Mike Soroka, and uh, I'm sure Eric over at Talking Shop wasn't too happy about that. But uh, he's always I I told I said going into this off season, pretty much my two untouchable prospects are Ian Anderson and Tukey Tucson. So. 
obviously, I think extremely highly of those them two. Whoa, 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 uh, whoa, 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 whoa! Tuki over Soroka. Yeah, I just, I know, I know, I know. It's a little different. Uh, I, but I'd be more okay with trading Soroka than I would Tuki. I don't know why. I'm legit hurt right uh, now. I don't know why because I think Mike Soroka, Mike Soroka's floor is a major league pitcher like that's insane to think about and insane to think but i think that's his like absolute floor but i just think ian anderson and tukey have a higher ceiling that's all i'm gonna disagree with you because i i don't i've seen nothing i need tukey to make massive adjustments as far as fastball command but that's a different show so i'm sorry i'm sorry who's who's the last one that you're really uh keeping an eye on Izzy Wilson, man i was hoping you were gonna say izzy my man Good answer. This is the year. This is the year, Garoff. He's gonna he's gonna hit two seventy. He's gonna hit it's two seventy. Fifteen to seventeen homers. He's gonna steal twenty two bases. He's gonna have ten assists in the outfield. This is the year. This is the year, and he's not gonna he's gonna that the walk rate's gonna stay the same. So he's gonna end the season with like an eight eight fifty eight seventy OPS despite hitting like two two forty. And. He's going to get the fly ball rate above his ground ball rate. This is it. Yes. It's the year. Is he? You see anybody, uh, speaking of speaking of guys who are kind of lotto tickets or in your and my minds, like super stud potential prospects, you see anybody getting aggressively placed this year? I brought up Kyle Muller. I could see him getting placed in AAA, especially with the inroads he's been making. But uh, do, you, do you see anybody in the minors who gets an, an aggressive placement? Hmm. Let's, uh, let's see. I could see them maybe trying to challenge Drew Waters and Double A. You know, he doesn't. He didn't have many games at high A. It'd probably be a really aggressive can- uh, promotion. But I could see them doing it. Like he hit. He definitely hit for 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 average and got on base a solid clip. But then against high A pitching, I guess no. He really didn't hit well. Now he's gonna start. There's no way to start on the triple A Double A. I take that back. Uh, maybe I okay. I could see them being a little more great, aggressive with Grayson Jennings. They obviously love him, uh, and the potential to be you know uh, an everyday type of player in the big leagues is there. So I could see them pushing him, even though he only had twenty games at high A. Maybe they are aggressive and place him in Double A just to get him to see what they really have. Corey Dickerson type comp there is a guy who's a. Big body, a lot more athletic than you think. I like that idea. What about you, Doc? You know, I'm I'm looking over over the list here, and it's it's actually this is, that was my question, and that that's a that's actually a really hard question. Just based on there's so many guys that are at the top that aggressively placing them would be just shoving them into the major leagues. Because I mean, ha- half of the guys at the top of this list have already have major league experience. Um, the Drew Waters one was kind of interesting. I, I think that uh, the odds of him going up to Double A, even if they're slim, the fact that we can have that talk and say, you know, he'd probably be okay. Um, I, I think, I think that's probably it for me. Uh, maybe, maybe bumping Joey Wentz to Mississippi. Just not that he doesn't have the talent to do it, but he didn't get a ton of reps in High A last year. Uh, but aside from yeah, aside from that, I mean, it, it's hard to know what they're going to do with with guys like Trey Riley or Tristan Beck. Both of them have uh, ideally, both of them are going to wind up starters. But if you 
decide that either of them are going to be bullpen guys long term, then maybe you could fast track it and you could put Riley. You know, Riley was a JUCO guy. You drop him right into Florida. Beck was was pitching at Stanford. I mean, you could probably put him in Double A and he'd have some mm-hmm. some some bumps there, but he'd probably succeed. So. Uh, so yeah, I just spent a lot of words to say probably Waters Double A. I think would be, would be mine. What about you, Dylan? Uh, you mentioned him, Tristan Beck. I think he's the guy. I think he's a very he's a very steady guy. He doesn't have the upside to some of these other arms in the system. Like he's definitely not as as like ceiling heavy as like Ian Anderson or Tukey. But he's another guy with a very high floor. He has four pitches that he commands pretty well. Uh, he knows the ropes of college seniors, so none of that's going to affect him. I think he starts in high A, but I think you could see him jump all the way up into double A, maybe even touch triple A by the end of the season. Uh, I think that he's a guy that's going to move very quickly through the system. Uh, I also won't be shocked to see Kyle Muller move up, maybe not before Ian, but right after Ian Anderson hit up AAA. I think Muller is on a huge train of momentum right now. Um, that work with Driveline where they fixed just a little small mechanical flaw in his in his delivery, and it's got him throwing more strikes. It's got him throwing harder. Uh, I think the dedication he's put through there is going to be a big deal. And, you know, I could see them starting William Contreras in AA. Um, you know, high A is probably a better suit for him right now, and Florida's not going to sap the type of power he has. I believe he was number three in fly ball distance in the minor leagues last season. Uh, but I think he's a guy. I, I think he's a guy that they're going to go ahead and see what he can do. Uh, the pitchers at Double A would definitely benefit from having him behind the plate as far as working on their command as well. I think William can get a, a, a very aggressive placement. It'd be dope well, to see him and CJ in Mississippi. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and it's not like he would be taking playing time from anybody who's a meaningful prospect up there. No offense to Sal Giardina, but if he, if he winds up sticking in there, I mean, who is Carlos Martinez? Carlos Martinez? I'm not even sure if he's still on the roster. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it is good that we have an actual solid gold star catching prospect uh, in this system. God knows I, I hitched my wagon to Lucas Herbert and uh, he's still. He's still trying to figure it out. So, uh, still trying to make contact with the bat. Yeah, well, he has. Uh, we'll just say that Lucas has been leapfrogged by um, most of the players in this organization. Got leapfrogged so by Jonathan is, Morales. Yeah, well, you know, Morales can play some infield too, so his versatility is <laughs> carrying him. This is very painful for me, man. We need to move on. <laughs> man, I got to be real. I completely forgot about Lucas Herbert. Oh, God, when you say it like that, dude, come on. I vote that we don't draft anybody from that high school again because that's Colby and Lucas who have severely disappointed. To this point, to this point. I legitimately forgot about him. I I didn't, I haven't thought about him in like over a year. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he was, I I had dropped that Jeff Mathis comp on him uh, long time ago and kind of touched a little bit on it earlier in this episode talking about guys that if their ceiling is AJ Ellis, you know, then they can, they can have a productive major league career. And that was my hope for him. But I think he's on the Braxton Davidson track now where <laughs> if he was, this, this will be his third year in high a and, and, and I, can I just be clear about something? I like Lucas for reasons outside of the fact that his last name is Herbert and uh, we are not related. But I've always found it to be incredibly lame to get like if Garab, if you showed up to a game with a VDAC jersey, you know, that's weird. 
there's no there's no other VDAC in Braves history that I know of. You know, but if there was a guy whose whose last name is VDAC, you also would hitch your wagon to him and say, God, I hope he absolutely. Yeah, so I don't have to get the custom jersey, you know, and uh, and then I'm similar with with Lucas in that regard. But man, I have just this is the danger of prospects, and we we're crawling out of the rebuild now. And and so the guys like like Colby, you know, like like you were just saying, Dylan, he was the, you know, he was in one one talk for 2015, and he was going to be the guy. He was like one of, of that first big wave of prospects that came in, and we look at him now, and we saw what he did outside of that first game and uh, against Miami to where, I mean, if that had been against any team other than Miami, he would have got lit up. So uh, we're just starting to see all of these guys who are panning out, who aren't panning out, and unfortunately uh, high school teammates Colby and Lucas look like they may not be um, major league teammates. Battery. Yeah, yeah they, they may have Really, really good memories of that time that they spent in Rome. I, mean, I need Colby to like move into driveline and like live there for real. Like, just don't don't go anywhere else. You you live in a room at the driveline facility. Um, but Garav Doc has been uh, shooting me a little little bit of back and forth. We've been talking behind the scenes a little bit uh, about uh, the road to Atlanta. Can we expect a, a resurgence? I hope so. I hope so. Eric had some problems with. Uh with his laptop and then you know once you once that once that gets in the way and you start focusing more on your work and stuff it just becomes like it becomes really difficult to get back on track but i, I really hope so i had a, i had a blast doing it I had a lot of good a lot of good interviews doing it i really really hope we come back if not i'm just gonna be hitting you guys up every single week to come to come podcast <laughs> i need more <laughs> i need more people shouting about izzy wilson with me so i'm not the one raving <laughs> lunatic now, the Road to Atlanta was uh, that was the first podcast that I ever got invited to come on. I, w- I would there's part of me that wants to go back and, and re-listen to that. I mean, it's been two years ago at this point or so, and, but uh, I just kind of get the douche chills for myself. It's like God, I'm so <laughs> nervous about everything. <laughs> but no, you guys were great, man. I, I hope I hope you do come back. I really like listening to you and you and Eric and Garrett and occasionally Matt when he come on and talk about stuff. So. Uh, if you do have any uh, intentions for coming back, let us know. We will make a big announcement on the show. And I'm still donating to your Patreon, so um, I, 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 shut that down. <laughs> but by this point, Eric should have plenty of money to go and buy himself a new laptop. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I thought we actually shut that down. I thought he meant to shut it down. We might just be having money in the Patreon. Account. I mean, that, that's, that's just that's free money, man. You don't just shut down a free stream of money like that. You wait until you wait until that river gets dammed. Got thirteen thousand dollars in that account by now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we are very much out of time, so we got one more thing. G, I'm sure you're aware of this, but we got Doc to join our ESPN league this year for fantasy baseball. Uh, Yeah. So actually, actually, I almost forgot. We got two things. We've got a listener who reminded us a couple of weeks back to kind of explain some of these advanced metrics that we like to use for, for beginner types of fans who are interested in learning. And Garav, you're one of the smartest baseball guys out there. With uh, with Jason, we talk or with uh, Dan Samborski, we talked ERA plus and minus. So if you before we get into this fantasy question, why don't you uh, give a nice easy breakdown of Let's say OPS plus for for the average 
listener or even just regular OPS? Why why OPS has become the major statistic lately? Sure. So it's pretty much like for me, it's 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 a very easy to statistic to calculate, and it just sh- it shows on base on base percentage plus slugging. It shows how productive your hits are, and I think that's like more important. You're able to get more value out of that than say something like batting average because. I would, you know, anyone would take a player that hits more doubles, triples, and homers than they do singles. Like, that's just, why wouldn't you, right? And so on the very basic level, I think OPS is significantly better in evaluating a player than compared to your traditional batting average. Essentially, what you're seeing with OPS is how a guy that hits 270, uh, but hits, let's say, 273, 40, 470 is a better player than somebody who hits 310, 325, 382. Then that guy that hits 270 is actually a more valuable player. Maybe not a quote-unquote, and this is semantics, you can say the guy that hits the higher average is a better pure hitter, which you wouldn't be incorrect. But the guy that hits 270 but has the more valuable hits would be your more impactful offensive player. And that's really what OPS judges is – your actual impact towards your team. Not a singular stat like a batting average or how it views just you. It's how you interact with the rest of your team around you and whether you make your team better by what you provide. That's a great way of putting it. I can't add anything to that. I have to think dumb guy terms because I am a dumb guy, so I, I try to think that way and help some people out. Uh, but but getting back to the fantasy real quick, we got Doc in the ESPN League this year. I've been warning him that you and Randy are like the two monster behemoths from a year ago. Um, Doc and I are also in a dynasty league that Randy talked us into joining. So this is a league that we the draft isn't even until like a, a more than a month away. Uh, we all literally just joined like yesterday. Uh, Doc and I put maybe the biggest trade I've ever been a part of into place earlier today. And I need your thoughts on this. So, okay. Doc traded me Gene Segura. Wait, don't tell him. Don't tell him. I was going to say, don't tell him. Don't who. tell him who. Okay. Okay. The trade was. It's too late. It's too late. You said one of the players. It's too late. Okay. Well, no, G- he didn't say a player. He didn't say a player. Okay. All right. All right. The trade was Gene Segura, Luis Severino, and Alex Verdugo for Max Scherzer, uh, Eduardo Escobar, Will Smith, and um, Jose Peraza. Oh, man. Ah, all right. You got to give me a second. I got to do some... Trying to do some quick calculating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, when you like... What kind of scoring is it? Uh, just standard, I believe. Okay. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna chase Segura, Severino, and Verdugo as the winner. Oh, sweet! That was me. I got that trade. Well, just damn. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure uh, you were gonna yell at me for trading Scherzer. No, no. I mean, Severino is. He's he can be real good, and he did that whole diet thing where he's hoping he he has uh, much more. Stamina over the course of the season. I like uh, Verdugo and Gene Segura. Gene Segura. Like, I get it. Scherzer is freaking, he's going to win you every single, win you every single match with every time he pitches. 300 strikeouts. Uh, and it's a keeper league. It's a dynasty league. So he gets, so Doc gets Scherzer forever now. I uh, gotcha. That, that is a tough, that is a tough 
person to get rid of. It's real tough, but I like what you got. I'm glad because like Doc and I, and this is how, how nerdy and how seriously Doc and I are already taking this. We legit went back and forth on this for like 35, 40 minutes. Like just <laughs> totally anxious, like paranoid, full on like panic attacks about it before we went through. So I'm glad you think that it's a pretty even trade across the board. That's that's what we thought. We tried to make it pretty even. Didn't want to uh, take advantage of either one of us. Yeah, like Scherzer by himself will get you wins. Like he just dominates every aspect of fantasy. Uh, that's some good release help that doc guy it's it's pretty close but i would yeah if i had to choose a winner i would choose you doc. yes even though i'll be quite honest i don't like alex verdugo i just knew doc would never trade me nixon zell as well well no this is this is the first time i've ever done fantasy anything i've never played fantasy football i've never this is you know i i don't even you know so i'm my biggest concern isn't even about getting equal value it's like what am I doing? <laughs> Just in, in general, what is this? This is so interesting. So I went from being a part of no leagues to being a part of two leagues inside of about 10 minutes. So, um, so by the end of the year, you know, I look yeah, forward to trading with you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't look forward to trading with you. <laughs> Garov doesn't so trade I'm, doc. Garov never trades. Yeah, I don't. Well, we'll, we'll see about that. We'll see. Last, yeah, last year, he barely picked players up. He like picked up a couple prospects and held them for like three months before he deigned to drop a couple. I liked I liked my draft, and then every single time I got an offer, I was like, "No, I like I like my guy." And then I got some some last minute like some free agent signing, or well, free agent signing waiver wire things. Let's not be. I mean, I like make this something to bigger than it actually is. I liked my team. I hated that we tied in the championship, and because I had more ties <laughs> than than Randy, he won. That was the most frustrating thing. Then don't tie, man. How do you tie in a championship? Like, ugh. I agree. <laughs> it's it's so frustrating to end on a tie. But you know what? It sets up a great storyline for this year. As uh, I'm coming, in, I'm coming back hard this year. I'm not going to get that stupid, horrible middle round of the snake draft pick this year. <laughs> I think I was near the back, right? I think I was near the back, so I got the back-to-back ones, yeah. Either one. If you can be at the very front or the very back, you're in a better situation because you get two picks back-to-back. If you're stuck, like I believe I was like fifth out of like ten people. Like I believe I was like dead in the middle. So I'm completely screwed. <laughs> but uh, we're really looking forward to that, and Doc is going to join us on the Discus uh, phone call again this year when we actually do the draft. Huh. That's right. So you know that'll be that'll be a fun that'll be a fun weekend getting all that stuff set up. So just I'm this is a an appeal to you guys. Do not swindle me just because you know you can. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's all I'm asking. So just if if you're gonna fleece me, you know, just make it fair. The more important thing is to see when. Josh now becomes like 12th out of 12 instead of just 10 out of 10 <laughs> will be even better. Uh, but that's really, honestly, that really is all the time that we do have for the show. Uh, Garof, thanks so much for spending the time with us, man. Always love talking yeah, to you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'll be back whenever you ask. I always love doing it. I mean, we'll pretty much do it whenever. And when Izzy Wilson has that breakout this year, you're coming on sure. with me, and we're going to both freak out together before we go. We're just going to yell at everybody for an hour. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to be like the most obnoxious. Like 
yell, yell. It's going to be the most obnoxious barstool-like podcast ever made. Like if, <laughs> oh. if Izzy Wilson and Joey Wentz both dominate the way that I think that they can be, I am going oh, to be literally the worst fan ever. Like I will, I will be in everybody's face. If C.J. Alexander does, too, man, I'm, I'm right there with you. You're going to sit through the smug look if C.J. Alexander does. You're going to sit there with that SpongeBob <laughs> smug-looking look, the cigar hanging out the side of your mouth. <laughs> uh, I've never hung up in the middle of an episode before, but that sounds like that's going to be the one where I just bail about 20 minutes into <laughs> <laughs> There'll be no living with me on that. Uh, before we go, I also want to mention again, in case you guys didn't hear it the first time, uh, we are now on the Grueling Truth Network of podcasts. If you want to go to thegruelingtruth.net, uh, show them some love, give them a follow on, on Twitter as well, at The Grueling Truth. You guys will find a ton of podcasts that, that you will absolutely love. If you're a big fan of any sport aside from baseball, basketball, football, ba- uh, college football, boxing, MMA, they've got a ton of interviews up with a bunch of Hall of Famers, including MLB Hall of Famers. So go on there, give them a check, show them how good Brave fans can be. Thank you guys so much, Doc. I'll catch you next week, sir. Yes, you will. All right, everybody out there, have fun. Enjoy this episode. Catch you guys next week on the Platinum Sombrero. <laughs> Thanks, bye.